everybody. This is uh, Dan Horn, writer of the comic book bent.com. Um, this is our podcast for March 21st, 2012. Today I'm joined by Herve Saint Louis, uh, editor in chief of the comic book bent, and also Alexander Finbo, who is a filmmaker and also uh, has overseen a lot of the uh, development at uh, Renegade uh, Arts Entertainment. Um, so, say hello, guys. Hi. Hello. How you doing? Good. So, uh, Alexander, we, we talked a little bit, um, I guess I guess it was yesterday about your, your film career, um, and I thought it was kind of a coincidence that you were named Alexander Finbo, because I was familiar with 24 Hours in London uh, already, <laughs> and um, after a little bit of digging, I found out that it is indeed you that wrote and directed uh, that film. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your film career? Yeah, that was a nice surprise. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was a while ago now that that movie came out. Uh, well, 2000 in the US. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it's, it's nice to find people that remember it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, I, so, yeah, my career started in, in film. Um, as an actor, and then uh, I, I really wanted to direct, so acting was a way to, to get experience of working with good directors. Um, and I had the fortune of working for directors like Alan Parker on uh, Ivisa, uh, and so I got to do tiny, tiny, tiny little parts from really big movies. But it was a great opportunity to stand around drinking tea and watching fantastic uh, artists and professionals working, um, which was great. And eventually, I worked my way up through the directing ranks. Um, to make some short films and then to make 24 Hours in London as a director, which was a, a, a great experience. Uh, there was a nice action B-movie, um, made for uh, just under a million dollars um, back in 99, uh, which was a tale about uh, cops and robbers, explosions, car crashes, uh, double identities, wow. and um, people not being what they seem. <laughs> the, the Scooby-Doo ending. <laughs> yeah, Scooby-Doo ending. Yeah. Um, lots of cliches in there. We had a list of cliches from action movies that we wanted to make sure we got in there. You know, every time a car got shot, it would explode in the fire. Those kind yeah. of things. Um, Snatching one-liners from the cops and the gangsters. Um, yeah, the, 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 the obvious guy who was the red-shirted Star Trek guy. Our cop that he knew was going to get killed at some point from the first moment we met him. Those kind of things. Um, and we tried to be a little bit too clever with our plot as well, unfortunately. Um, we went for an ending which we hoped would keep the audience guessing. And rather than going, this is your hero, this is your uh, Bruce Willis character, you know he's going to make it all the way through to the end. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to kill Bruce Willis off in a die-hard film. No matter how bad it gets, you know he's going to make it. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we were told after we'd made the film that maybe we should have had a Bruce Willis character that you knew was going to make it through to the end <laughs> rather than keeping it open-ended as to which is your real hero and which is your real villain um, I don't know I still I still like the fact that it's not easy to, to just follow the numbers ABC on that movie yeah. for all its flaws there was something it was interesting that it, it is a um, an example of B cinema but also the plot was so uh, dense and convoluted that it was almost like a, a dichotomy of like serious cinema and tongue-in-cheek cinema, you know, because it was, <laughs> the plot was actually pretty, uh, I don't know, it was, it was hard to unravel, you know, it wasn't as on the nose as 
That's the cliches you guys were using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, there was a lot of characters and it moved around a lot. Um, <laughs> and I think we were a little bit too ambitious. Uh, I made some mistakes with the script that afterwards you kind of realize, ah, oh, it's so obvious now looking at it. But at the time, it was, it was, you're in the trenches and your head's down, you're trying to concentrate on so many things. Um, and you learn that people around you, most of the time, are saying yes to everything because they're really keen to get working and get something happening. And they're not really the most objective people to, uh, to say, hold on, Alex, you're making a huge mistake here, stop. Um, rethink this. Until later when you all sit around in the pub going, oh, <laughs> yeah. But it was good. It was. I'm, I'm glad it did well and it got out there. And at the time, it was um, the only British independent film selling internationally, which is great. Wow, um, it that's did, good. It did very well for Paramount. It was their most successful film they picked up. Um, and then the biggest problem we had was that there was the Columbine massacre. Just uh, as we yeah. took the film to Cannes, uh, um, and suddenly everyone was really wary about buying any action films, even big Hollywood movies. At that point, they kind of held on yeah. to a few of the big action movies. Um, so everyone just slashed a north or two off the, the price they're willing to pay for an action film. Um, so that hurt us. But we still sold, and we were the only British film to sell in Cannes that year, which is great. So hurrah! Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. One of the one of the things that I was thinking about um, it was actually, I guess it was six or seven years after uh, 24 Hours came out, was uh, Joe Carnahan's uh, Smoke and Aces came out. Did you? I hate to stoke the embers here, but did you, did you happen to notice any like glaring uh, similarities between his movie and yours? I haven't seen it. Oh really? Oh I'm no! Googling it now. No, no, I just heard a shit story. <laughs> <laughs> did you think there were some similarities? It was almost structured exactly like uh, like your film, <laughs> to be oh, honest. Wow. <laughs> it's about an informant that holds up in like a in a, in a Vegas hotel. And it's about all these gang or all these groups of assassins like converging on the hotel, and it's got a very convoluted storyline and crazy premise, and tries to integrate all these crazy twists and turns, you know. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I guess <laughs> no, that should be. No, you have to look. You have to look into that and call your attorney, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finally. I, 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 these kind of movies, it's just so much that feeds into other movies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, you know, what I was kind of inspired by Tarantino and um, yeah, yeah. Christ Peckinpah had a big influence on some of the stuff that I was really? doing. Yeah, um, but I got accused of plagiarism with Twenty Four Hours in London. Whoa, um, why? Why is that? There was a British movie. Ah, uh, oh, crap! What was it called? It was um, uh, the Long Good Friday. Well, no, all right, I have to look it up. I haven't seen this movie yet either. Um, which is really funny because Sight and Sound magazine, which is our most prestigious film magazine in the UK, wrote a review and he accused me of plagiarizing this movie. I'm thinking I've never seen this film. Yeah. I, I wanted to write a letter back saying that's just the height of rudeness to not do your research enough to accuse a filmmaker of plagiarizing another movie. Mm -hmm. And and we haven't even seen the damn film yet. Um, it was a Bob Hoskins movie. Um, if you know who Bob Hoskins is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to look it up very quickly and tell you. It's a gangster film, um, something to do with Americans and British gangsters, um, which was which was a cult hit. Um, bear with me one second. 
Sean Ford, Roger Rabbit, and Brazil. Mm-hmm. I should know this. I'm such, such a terrible name. I uh, memory for names. <laughs> um, it's awful. Faces I'm pretty good with, but I have no idea who the people are that I'm talking to <laughs> most of the time. Uh, the Con Club. Oh, wow, he's done a lot. The Long Good Friday. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Have you seen that movie? I no. have not seen it. I haven't no. seen it, no. Helen Mirren is probably the most well-known actress in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Mer- Mer- Gangsters. Yeah, Harold, a preposterous English gangster, tries to close a lucrative deal when the IRA start blowing things up. Um, yeah, so, anyway, Joe Carnahan may have never seen 24 Hours in London um, and have no relation to it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But I'm going to go <laughs> and uh, Netflix that movie now. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I'll email you guys if I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe it. It's ripped off the whole thing. Yeah. Terrible. I think the, I think the, uh, the bad guy says, see you in hell at the end. <laughs> no. Does he? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that took hours to write that line. Um, yeah. Have you seen the uh, 24 Hours in London comic? No. No, I haven't. That's something that I wanted to ask you about, if, if you ever thought about uh, adapting it, but you have? Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the storyboard artist for the movie was a guy called William Simpson. Okay. Um, he was my favorite comic book artist at the time, so I asked him if he'd do the, uh, the storyboards for me. Mm-hmm. And he was doing Predator, Predator vs. Aliens, um, and Vamps for Vertigo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Off the back of Lobo, Lobo or something. Um, yeah. Hellblazer, I think he was involved mm-hmm. with, and Judge Dredd and lots of other things. He was doing great work, um, and he agreed to do it. Um, I remember Vamps very well, yeah. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Oh, he's doing, I'll, I'll tell you about VMT that he's doing for us later. Um, okay. Which is very much in that, that vein, but he did the storyboards for me on the film, um, mm-hmm. and then he used those to pitch for other film work, and he ended up going off to do Reign of Fire, concept art and storyboards and loads of other oh, movies and kind of left comics behind completely um, and he's just finished doing season two storyboards concept art for Game of Thrones oh wow um, he did season one as well um, oh. and um, he's just done the guy that did um, Interview with a Vampire his new film over in Ireland as well storyboards for that about a new vampire flick um, so to celebrate the fact that it kicked off his career in movies and it was the 10th anniversary of the film coming out, and I was now working in comic books more than movies, we decided to rewrite the movie as a comic book. Um, so I retold the story in 24 pages, um, which uh, Will drew. That's not um, very easy to do. You <laughs> it was told the entire, the entire story in 24 pages? Yeah, well, I oh, started wow. with, um, <laughs> with a, let's, let's change something. Um, so I chose a key moment in the story and said, well, what would have happened if... Um, Bridget and Simone had won their firefight mm-hmm. in the police station. If they got through and killed the witness, what would have happened to everybody after that? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was the, the one thing that I changed, and it just changed everything else. Of course, wow. half the characters didn't even turn up because they, there was no way for them then to intersect without <laughs> being the hand of God. Yeah. Um, it was great; really enjoyed doing it, um, and I like the story in the comic more than the story in the film now, for some reason. <laughs> Um, and we enjoyed doing it so much, and people uh, really liked it because it was hard-boiled uh, action comic, um, and there didn't seem to be too many of those around at the time, outside um, of um, DCU and some of um, 
And where is the comic book, uh, like, where was it published? Uh, we published it through Renegade. Uh, okay. By the oh, time right. we'd finished doing it, it uh, Renegade existed, so I just moved it over. Rather than being self-published, we put it through Renegade. Okay. Um, it, Diamond didn't take that one because they said that I wasn't a, a well-known enough writer oh, at that boy. point. I should come back when I've done some other things. <laughs> uh, so the film wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, comics are hard. <laughs> um, but it sold really well uh, directly, digitally, and through conventions. Um, so we're doing a second one, which William's just finished drawing, and Laverne Kinjerski is colouring at the moment. Um, so I think we're going to do four over the next couple of years, depending on Will's schedule. Um, That's great. Which, which is fun. It is good fun to play around with that, because it's... Just things exploding and one uh, one liners and everyone's always at um, magic hour. It's just it's just not grounded in reality at all. No, <laughs> unlike all the other comics that we do. <laughs> so was that was that um, essentially how you transitioned from film to comics with uh, with that adaptation or uh, how did it start? Um, I wanted to to work in comics because I was a frustrated writer. <laughs> um, I, after 24 Hours and None came out, um, my I was signed up by an agent in Hollywood who basically told me that you'd look after me and um, and shape my career, which oh. basically <laughs> dicking me around for nearly three years. Yeah. Uh, so I'd, I'd written a follow-up to 24 Hours and None, what I thought was a more successful action thriller that, that fixed the problems of the first movie and kind of upped the game um, a lot. Um, and we were ready to start trying to raise finance and get that going when um, Alan said, no, 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 I've got a great movie for you to come on. It's written by an Oscar-winning screenwriter. You need to drop everything and, and start working on this, um, which I did because it sounded great at the time, Oscar-winning screenwriter. I've worked with Scorsese. This is a dream come true, um, but, it, but it wasn't. It, it was just a nightmare of rewrites and, and uh, turned out the Oscar Oscar-winning screenwriter couldn't write a good second screenplay after the one he'd done for Scorsese, which was New York, New York. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So I spent so much time just trying to get the rewrites right for the producer and going down this rabbit warren of, well, you know, while this one's in hiatus, let's go and do another movie and try and set this one up over there. There's other producer. Uh, got to the point where I got so far away from where we had been with the momentum we'd had going with 24 Hours in London, I had seven of my own screenplays just sitting there gathering dust um, that I decided I needed to change. Um, and I don't know what it's like for you guys, but I was networking and um, going to functions and you know, even seeing friends, and they're saying, so what are you working on? And I'd say, I'm working on this movie. It's going to be great. And they say, well, when can I see it? And I'm, I don't think you'll get to see it any time in the next few years. <laughs> oh, what did you do for the last two years? Oh, I was working on this movie. Oh, when can I see that? Well, you're not going to see that one either because the financing collapsed because the producer couldn't kill <laughs> off. Yeah. just see the look on people's faces, the disappointment and the uninterest. And I'm just like, yeah. I don't want to spend the next 10 to 15 years getting paid to work on, write on things that, that are never going to get seen, that no one's yeah. ever read. You know, you're never going to have that connection with an audience. <laughs> so I thought, well, no one's ever going to read a script outside of people I'm working with. Um, I don't want to get into prose writing. Um, I don't. I don't see myself as a novelist. I, I think too visually, and I like collaborating with other people. So I started to adapt some of my screenplays into uh, comic book scripts and learn how to do that, um, which kind of coincided with meeting Alan Grant um, and and Doug Bradley from the Hellraiser movies. 
and a yeah. guy called Tony Luke, um, who had who was an, an artist and a writer in, in Britain, and he was the first Western manga comic artist and writer to make a go of it in Japan do well. And these guys were making a movie called Dominator X, which is a CGI animation. Okay. Uh, based on some characters that Alan and Tony had created together. Um, and they they had some problems finishing the financing. So someone had asked me if I'd come and see if I could help these guys out, which I did. Um, and I couldn't because the producer had basically stolen most of the money. Sorry, allegedly stolen most of the money. Um, and they were screwed because no one would ever invest money in that movie after the mess this guy had put it in. But along the way, I had really enjoyed sitting and working with Alan and Doug and Tony and talking about our passions and the things we loved in storytelling, movies, comics, stories, music, um, and sharing war stories from how we've been messed around on projects that we'd loved. Mm-hmm. And we decided it would be a good idea to set up our own, create our own company to look after the stories that we cared about whilst we carried on working for other people and you know, being told by the marketing company that the bad guy had to be a teddy bear because it would, it would read better than the <laughs> other. So, so we just wanted someone where we could look after our own stuff without those kind of in, in, you know, interference. And so Renegade was born from that. Um, I, one evening in the pub, basically, we just looked at each other and said, we should work together, let's set up a company. Um, and we decided we would do anything creative that we, were, that we thought was a, a good idea and that everyone agreed there'd be an audience for even if we've never done it before, I had no experience of um, marketing, producing, or selling it. Mm. Uh, this is why we now produce comic books, graphic novels. Uh, we have a big, uh, successful audiobook line, and we do movies as well. And we've moved into children's books um, with no real business strategy saying we have to target this demographic or do this, this, and this. It's like, this is a great story. I love it. What do you guys think? We love it too. I think people will love this too. Let's make it and figure out what we can do with it afterwards. Um, which is kind of a backwards way to approach a business. Um, so we're very, very good at creating beautiful things. We're still learning how to sell them and reach an audience with them. So uh, that's our learning curve. Well, I think I think once you create something, uh, you know, worth reading, people will start to gravitate towards you over time. You know, it's. There's no substitution for quality, so <laughs> that's all right. Like you guys have you guys have all the talent you need, so in time it'll. <laughs> it's been a ride. It, it has um, been interesting. Um, having Alan on board uh, obviously gave us some sort of um, calling card within the industry. Yeah. Street um, cred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we talked about doing comics, they're like, "Oh, you're another small." Uh, indie publisher that would be around for a year or so, you probably won't be able to finish up more than two books before you go bust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people watched because Alan was involved. Um, and then what I found was that other creators were starting to come to us and say, well, we want to join in too. So we've had to kind of restructure ourselves a few times to bring in other creators like um, Laverne Kinjerski, who came on board just to do one colouring job. And he's now writing three books with us as well as oh, colouring wow. too. Uh, and Claude Senaban, um, who, I don't know if you know him, he's done a lot for DC, um, a very adaptable Canadian artist. Um, first got noticed in Captain Canuck. Um, oh, okay. He was yeah. doing Rebels. He finished off the, the, the Rebels series. And he does oh, yeah. Okay. As well. So he's just done the War of 1812 book 
graphic novel for us um, and done an amazing job. And now he's doing a children's book for us. And I'm pretty sure he's going to finish that and go on to something else for us as well. <laughs> so he's become part of the family. That's great. As, as has John Bolton as well, another artist. Yeah, come. that's... Um, John Bolton, didn't you work on uh, Evil Dead years ago? Yeah. I think yeah. so, I'm not sure. He's, yeah, John Bolton's done a ton of stuff. He has. A ton of um, great stuff. Yeah, he's got beautiful style. Um, so I was. And we were intimidated, but at the same time, so excited when he said he wanted to work with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he said he wanted to commit to doing the Shame trilogy, which is four years' work, and he, he might do the odd cover for somebody else, but he's not doing anything else during that time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, wow, seriously? Do you want? Do you want? And he's like, yeah, I'm having the best time of my life. Um, and we don't give him any interference as long as the as long as he's happy and um, the work he's turning out is is as good as it has been so far. Then we just leave him alone and he just gets on with it. Um, and then he produces. I don't know if you've seen Shame Conception yet. No. Um, but this, this is the quality of the watercolor canvases. Each page in that book is a watercolor canvas. Quality of the work he's doing is just stunning. I'll just send you a link so you can have a quick peek. Yeah, that would be great. Is it um, is it anything like his work on um that uh that Peter Straub book, The Green Woman? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's in that vein. Um, okay. not quite as dense. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely in that vein. Um, it's 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 a fairy tale for grown ups, so dark fantasy. Um, okay. It's it's very sexy. Um, and it's got some some new uh, monsters from his imagination. Very cool. Um, which are which are which are quite exciting to see come to life. Some of the stuff in the second book is just amazing. The guy is seriously talented. Seriously talented. Um, here we go. Send you that. This is the book. Um, but if you guys are on Facebook, you should have a look at the Shame Conception page because there's loads of artwork and stuff and previews for the new book on there. Um, when, is, just, when is that book uh, book 2 should uh, be out uh, in October um, wow. John has painted 34 pages now um, and when, I'm not going to hurry him so if he says look I need an extra couple of weeks to, to really get my head around this page this painting then he can have it because yeah. we're not a bottom line company at the moment so there's there's scope with all the books to say if the book needs an extra few weeks then it need it'll have those few weeks because it'll make it a better book in the end. Well, if it's anything like God Save the Queen, it's uh, it's going to be worth the wait and worth the money. <laughs> I think I'm a, I'm a huge yeah, Mike Carey fan. Yeah, I'm a huge Mike Carey fan. So right. having a having a great story with that incredible artwork was kind of uh, like a mind trip, I guess. <laughs> so is it yeah. watercolors? It is watercolor, yeah. Wow. Um, and John doesn't do any digital work. Um, he scans in and then he tries to get the, the scan to match his canvas as closely as possible. Hmm. But he doesn't do any digital retouching to anything. Oh, wow. Uh, so he, when I was over in England um, at Christmas, I spent an afternoon with him in the studio just looking through all the originals. And it's just amazing. Each one of those, you could put, each one of those pages you could put in a gallery easily and, and just present, uh, show it to people and, and he could sell them for a lot of money um, it's fantastic I'm very happy with what he's doing with us and, and the stuff he's doing for Shane I mean, Laverne has written a, 
a very, very good story. Um, and I don't know, do you guys listen to comic pitches very much? From... Uh, no. <laughs> I do. I can't say that I do. <laughs> I listen to quite a lot. Um, either at conventions or phone calls or emails or um, Skype or, or whatever. Um, and Laverne started working with us on 1812 and the first the next thing he said to us was, I want to pitch your story. Um, and since I've taken over kind of looking after the editorial side of the company from Alan to allow more time to, to work on writing, um, I get to listen to all the pitches. And I dread them now most of the time because sometimes they're really nice people that you that you like spending time with and you want to work with at some point. But if they pitch something that you don't like or you don't think is right for you, then you have to break it to them. Yeah. That you're not that interested. And I hate doing that. It's a horrible thing to, to do to somebody. Um, so when Laverne said this, he was like, I'm going to pitch you a story. I was like, oh, God. Okay, so I need to think of something nice to say to the guy and also something um, critical but helpful to improve the story. And he pitched me the story of shame. And um, two minutes later, I interrupted him and said, this is great. We should do it. Which was a, a nice surprise, um, and he's kind of been one of our main guys now since then, which is nearly three years ago. Yeah, we, Jim Jim Zub was kind of saying the same thing to us. People would uh, read a review about uh, skull kickers or something, and then the, the next morning they'd say, "Here's my pitch." Yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> we we will not do that to you. Yeah. You will not get a pitch from us tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's uh, happened to you, eh? Yeah, hey. all the time. <laughs> yeah. We will not pitch you. All right, it was fine. If it's a fan, what, I, what I tell people now, unless, unless it's somebody that I'm fairly sure they wouldn't be pitching me unless I know they've already got something really, really good. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know someone um, of Alan's level isn't going to be talking to me unless they're sure we're the right company, they've done their research and they've got a lot of experience in the industry. Yeah. Unless there's somebody like that, please don't pitch to me unless you're sure the story or the pitch is as good as it can be and there's a definite um, interest in it from readers. Um, otherwise, just wait until you're ready and you're sure. So it's not going to do yourself any favours. Uh, this is something I find interesting. I'm looking at the work right now and the other projects. And it seems to me that there's like two types of uh, smaller publisher. Um, there's like guys like you who come with it straight out of the gate with um, something completely professional and at a certain level. And then there's well other guys who, well, I guess, try to scramble and bootstrap, although you probably bootstrap too, but try to do it as best as they can. And it's not at the same level. Uh it's amazing. Right. It's interesting uh, the way it, it kind of works. Yeah, um, yeah. It's one of those industries like the film industry where there's no um, barrier to entry. You can pick up a video camera, you can pick up a pencil, and you can draw something, and, and it's a comic or it's a movie, or you can spend the money and the time and, and make something which looks like it's been made. Could be made by any of the big companies. Yeah. Like comics, whether it's DC, Marvel, Image, or Dark Horse. Um, what I hope is the quality of our stuff um, would sit quite happily in any of those companies. Um, and with the printing that we do, for instance, um, the first comic we put out was Channel Evil, which was Alan's first horror comic. And we did it in conjunction with Berserker because I wanted some somebody to ha hold our hands 
was we dipped into the distribution and working with Diamond. Um, and the, I wasn't happy with the print quality. Like the quality of the paper and everything was, didn't feel high quality to me. So with our, with our second publication, the first with 24 Hours in London, The Shades of Grey comic, uh, we started working with Friesens, which is a printer in Manitoba, Canada, um, who are most well-known for doing uh, high-end coffee table books, um, glossy um, novels and um, you know, art books. So they do a little bit of graphic novel work, but not a lot. Um, so we started working with them, and we found the, the best quality uh, printing that we could do at a price point which was still sensible enough for comics. Um, I think it costs us almost $2 a copy for a regular 22, 24-page comic strip through them, um, which is a little bit more expensive than if we were to send it off to Korea and do it on the cheapest stock we could. But the quality is amazing. Now, when you look at um, the standard of printing for Shame Conception, for the new War of 1812 graphic novel, uh, Shades of Grey, to Turning Tiger, they look as if they could have come from any of the, um, the top publishers and better than some of the publications that are out there which um, for weight and for cost-saving reasons have gone for a, a thinner, uh, glossier paper. Um, you, know, you, can, you can spill a beer over the cover of Shane Conception and wipe it off and the book will still be great to read. Wow. I know, I know because the first copy that I'm came a, out... I'm going to try that. You would have been the first. <laughs> we, we found that out um, by accident. Um, it was good to, good to discover that. Um, and it, it, it does mean that our margins are, are smaller than they could be. Um, but it means that we're very proud of every book and we can say with certainty that we are producing the best books that we can, both in terms of the creative side of it and the production side of it, which is very important to all of us. I think you guys should make like an infomercial. You can even <laughs> spill beer on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be a little bit of a YouTube video from one of the conventions yeah. somewhere with that in it. Some one of the fans filmed in a bar when we were in, in there just to put it to the test. <laughs> so um, you said that most publishers publish in Korea. I thought they were publishing in Montreal. Uh, um, um, yeah, there's still a lot of comic book publishing done in Montreal. Okay, um, I forget the name of the big company that's uh, there. Quebecois. Cubicle, yeah. yeah. Um, we could have we could have gone down that route. Um, Laverne had done a, quite a bit of work, um, I think, for DC, helping them with print proofing and stuff through Cubicle. Um, but Manitoba's closer to us. Okay, yeah, um, it is. At the quality level that we were looking at, the price is about the same. So it's much easier for one of us to get into Friesens and oversee the books coming off the the print the print line. Yeah. than it is to get across to Montreal. I think that's probably the, the most likely explanation why we haven't looked at going with it recently. When I first looked, their prices were very, very similar. Um, but Manitoba's closer. But um, So those guys publishing in Korea, don't they have to ship the book back to North America or something? Well, I, I, with IDW was the last uh, publisher I was hearing about. Um, I think some of DC stuff stuff is done abroad as well. Um, it was the Doctor Who uh, line of comics. Um, Al Davison's doing working with me in a book, and he was um, doing an ID, IDW Doctor Who title. And he was saying that he doesn't get paid his rate until the books have come back from the printers. 
So he doesn't get paid for his artwork until the books are back from print. And because the books were coming from Korea, it took ages. Hmm. So he had to. He was just talking about the delay it would take. Um, so I know IDW do do some printing out there. Um, but printing's done all over the world, you know, wherever makes sense at the time for the title and the publisher. Um, we try and keep ours in North America, Canada primarily because we're Canadian-based. Um, uh, everything we do at the moment is either done in Canada or America. Because um, I, I think it's important that you look after your own infrastructure and your, your backyard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you'll, there, there won't be people working in those industries. Yeah. In the future. Indeed. When you want them. Totally agree. Yeah, and there that's... is good talent here anyway. I mean, there's good talent in all over North America. Yeah. Um, um, and I'm sure that with the way that the, the economics is going, that places like China, Korea, India, they'll start getting more expensive and, and Canada and America will become more competitive again. So just stick with the, stick with the local guys while you can, if you can, <laughs> until everything levels out again. Well, one thing that's important to notice, to, to, to mention also when companies go out, um, that's happened, in the, I guess, in the tech industry is that a lot of the, the knowledge goes out too. And yeah. once it's gone, it's not coming back. Like there was a case, I don't know if you guys heard about Apple a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, the big thing is that all the, of the Apple materials, goods are no, no longer produced in North America. And they're produced in China and other places, and it's those yeah. jobs are not coming back. I mean, no one can yeah. assemble a phone anymore. Like, there's no plant in Texas or whatever that can assemble an iPhone anymore. Wow. And that's a lot of people. I guess now have to work to, they have to work at Walmart or places like that. Um, so that's not, it's like they, they actually have these these tiny. Um, uh, living areas for people that work for Apple, like, so, so that they're at the, you know, they're pretty much at work 24 hours a day. They, they sleep there in like, uh, yeah. uh, dorm rooms and then, you know, they're working some 16 hours a day or something like that. And there's cafeterias all throughout so they can get something to eat. It's, it's kind of scary actually, but, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apple's really taking advantage of, uh, you know, the, the lax, um, human rights, uh, standards in China right now. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of big companies looking for tight margins. Um, have to put pressure on companies to improve their human rights uh, well, records. It's people mm. who buy iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. my iPhone. <laughs> I had a BlackBerry for three years and I switched to the iPhone um, beginning of December. I just can't believe what a difference it makes. Well, it is a big yeah. difference, yeah. Although in this case, it's uh, poor Canadians out of jobs. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. I used to bang on about how good the BlackBerry was and how easy it made email and everything. It just became frustrating. And switching to the iPhone, I was scared at first that it, I would, it would just be like having a little games machine and something for surfing the internet but I do more business and stuff on the iPhone now than I ever did on the BlackBerry um, we just we just need um, Apple to move to Canada start producing here oh boy I don't <laughs> that's not happening <laughs> this is not um, happening tomorrow there's lots of lots of people ready to work in Ontario you can move there yeah but not happening no, it's not happening no too bad no. we can dream 
Yep. <laughs> so um, you guys have a mobile strategy also right now? Um, we are we have an ever evolving, fluid mobile strategy as everything changes and we try to figure out what's the best thing to do. Um, I don't know if you've seen our app. Do you guys have iPads? Um, uh, I have one right now. No, I don't <laughs> have an iPad. Uh, I've got everything else but an iPad for now. Okay. Uh, that's another story. <laughs> I've got uh, tablets, so but I don't have an iPad yet. You guys have an iPad uh, reader app? Yes, we do. And I'm just going to bring you the oh, link wow. for it. Um, we're working with a company in New York, um, Nov8Ricks. Um, <laughs> And they have developed a bookstore app for the iPad, uh, which we are using. And um, it, it's basically a PDF reader. But it means that we can uh, put our titles on, on the iPad and sell them directly within the bookstore app or give it away for free, depending on what the title is. Um, and we're, we're just at the moment looking at what to do with a new uh, iPad with a super high resolution. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the retinal screen or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet firsthand, but from talking to other creators that have, have seen one or have got one, they said reading comics is uh, is amazing now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially with um, uh, full-page comics. You know, before you could you'd zoom in for certain panels to to read the text and to see the details. And now with the resolution being so high, um, nobody's bothering to zoom in. They're just reading full page. Yeah. It's fantastic. So we've got stuff on there. We've got a lot more coming on this soon. Um, and we're also experimenting with the, with Novate Ricks in ways of putting extra content in there. Okay. Um, and figuring ways to just push the medium a little bit more without investing hundreds of thousands of dollars, which we haven't got. Yeah. Are you guys going to be doing anything for Android? Sorry, are we going to do for Android? Yes. Yes. Um, the same app will be uh, on Android platforms soon. Okay. Good. Um, the guy, the same developer, uh, are working on the Android version at the moment. Okay. Once they're done with that, um, the, the, I imagine it'll be very similar to the the iOS app. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of exciting, and I still don't know with. Digital, uh, you guys probably know as much as I do as the right, right way to go. Uh, well, I would say I probably know a little bit more. Yeah? Because <laughs> that's what I do. Hey. <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, I would say that most comic book publishers are completely off the mark right now. Uh, but that's my own opinion. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm well, learn something now. Since, since we're talking about this, have you guys seen... Um, the format that Mark Wade is uh, planning to use for his digital comics. No. No. Oh, really? Okay. It's uh, it's interesting. And um, one of the things that I've been saying for a while is that the the reason that digital comics aren't doing very well is because they're not they're they're still formatted like a you know Wait, Dan, twenty twenty two page comic book. Yeah. Dan, can I? How is it formatted? Quickly, because it's like it's like land. Uh, Single landscape pages. Darn. Uh, Darn. You know why I'm saying that? I have seen this. You know why I'm Is saying that? what you were going to say, Herbie? Here's a primer for the comic book bin, people. I was working on a comic reader right now. Oh, are you? And I figured it out a year ago. Uh, you should sue, man. No, I can't sue. It's an idea. I can't sue for an idea. 
but I've got all the blueprints. I've got all the blueprints. I've got all the all the flowchart. Everything it's already built on paper. Uh, It's not coded yet. But as you know, we've had the comic book bin apps for quite a while, so that wasn't in the plan. Darn! I'm pissed off. It's always like that, and I can't even beat you to the punch, man. I can't sue for that. What do you think of the reading experience? With the mic, I've just read Mark's um, little PDF on it. I have seen it before. I have gone through it on the I- on the iPad. Um, I think um, I, I I read it on um, my iPad, and uh, it. To be honest, um, I didn't notice much of a difference. Well, just um, because I, I felt like it was formatted almost like a regular comic book, but in you know landscape format. Yeah, and uh, maybe 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 through a reader it would uh, look a little better um, than on his uh, blog. Well, but, on, a, on an iPad, it won't change much. Looks great. But the the story is amazing. I <laughs> it's ah, a really short story, and it's a zombie story, and uh, so I was kind of like, eh, really, come on. And then I was blown away by the end of it. It was it's a really good character piece. Um, I, what I found frustrating with it. Um, and it's the problem I find with a lot of the comic readers is that I was tapping, tap, 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 yeah, tap, 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 yeah. tap, 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 to, to, to move it along. And it, that kind of got irritating. Yeah. It's like, just give me a page, I can read it at my speed, and mm-hmm. then I'll go to the next page. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think one of the, it might have been graphically, or it might have been comicsology, had the option that it would move you through the panels at the speed that they thought you should move through. And that was irritating as well. I was like, yeah. oh. so. It wasn't done. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, in terms of user engagement, that's, oh boy. Talk, talk. tell us. <laughs> well, now he's upset because Mark Wade. I'm upset. Uh, I am upset. I mean, I've been working. He hired, if... he hired a guy to perform Inception on him or something. <laughs> I think they did. They, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I've got all the blueprints in front of me. All the blueprints and are there. He dreams about Leonardo DiCaprio recently. <laughs> I've got all the blueprints, all of the stuff, and I might as well say it now. I mean, everything was ready. I mean, well, it wasn't coded yet. Uh, the thing is that with the comic book bin apps, everything is planned several versions in advance, right? So that was one of the features that was coming down the line. There's other stuff that's coming too, uh, obviously. And it's on three platforms, so it's not easy to, to get rolling for all of that. But you know what? It doesn't matter. I'll do it better than he, he does because, I mean, I've been thinking about it for over a year. <laughs> yeah. Actually, well, I've been thinking for... You can uh, substantiate that you've had this... Uh... In process for for over a year, can, I mean, you could do well. The comic book bin apps have been out for two years now. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, if I've if I've done the first version of the app, obviously I was thinking about the next version and version. <laughs> I mean, I've got seven version plan for those apps, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's how that's how you do it when you build apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to focus like you like you know seven version in advance what you're supposed to have inside your app. Right. Uh, I mean, you can't just bring it out in one day. I mean, that's not how you do it. It's it's way too complicated. So you need to, I mean, and that's how it, it is. So I've got everything. Uh, if someone wants to break into Basecamp, they'll find the Basecamp plan. <laughs> it's all on Basecamp right now. It's all on Basecamp. If someone can crack my Basecamp account, they'll find all of the seven 
iteration of the comic book bin apps. <laughs> you heard it here. For, you heard it here. Listeners. I think I'll go. I'll go clean my yeah. base camp after that. I'll go delete everything on base Herve camp. Herve is challenging the listeners to hack his account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least there'll be a primer for anyone who wants to do something related to comic book apps. You'll have seven generation of comic book apps planned in front of you. With all the blueprint, including what Mark Wade is doing right now. But it's a good, I'm not going to complain. I mean, it is a good thing. I mean, it means that the industry is finally moving in the right direction. Just I was hoping I was going to be the guy to do it first. <laughs> well, then yeah. maybe you should aim to be the guy that does it best. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I do get, I mean, because I do mobile, that's what I do for a living, right? Right. So I get mobile. I mean, that's, that's what I do. So obviously, I'm thinking about those issues a lot. So what, what are you doing in the mobile? Oh, I've done tons of apps right now, uh, including the three comic book win apps. I mean, uh, it's funny. Um, it's, it's one thing if you want to talk about comic book bin. People, when we released the three apps for the three platforms, it didn't make a wave. It, it barely moved a thing. But the technology that's in there is so... First of all, there's a store locator that actually works. It's better than the one from Diamond, and it picks up stores that are not listed in the Diamond thing. Uh, yeah. When I'm in when I when I'm in Europe, when I'm in when I was in Asia, I could find my comic my local comic book stores within the comic book bin apps. I don't think Diamond or anything anyone else can claim that they, they can find a comic book store in China uh, or in, in Belgium. Mine actually works. It really works when you and you find all the stores, all everyone who sells comics, you'll find them. Even if you're in Beijing, you'll find them. Uh, no one can claim that. So there's a lot of technology, a lot of work that's involved in them. And I, I always say that if I were in any other industry outside of comic books, but that's probably something that you've experienced yourself, Alexander. Uh, if you were doing the same thing outside of comics, wow, the media, the, 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 the thing that people would say about the work that you do and so on, but people, because we're in comics, wow, it just went under the radar. Even though we have, I mean, a company that does, a small company like mine, basically a one-guy company operation, that produced three apps on three different platforms mm-hmm. um, that actually have a store locator that works, a calendar of events for all the comic book events that also works, that you can add to your favorite, uh, to your calendar app, and obviously all the articles from the comic book bin, and everything works. Uh, you can't... It's a lot of work. Sometimes I get frustrated because, I mean, the entire industry has just... At the time, I, I know that the competitor, when we send the press release, none of them... Bleeding, Bleeding Comics actually thought that we were doing a comic reader that was going to pirate comics from DC and Marvel. That's what they asked us. We said, no, I'm not doing that. I don't pirate people. I don't have any interest in doing that. And then he said, okay, you guys are not interesting, so we're not going to cover you. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Bleeding Comics, well, uh, Bleeding Cool, whatever they're called. Um, right. and all the other guys, all the other regulars, none of them touched it. Uh, just a few si- a few smaller websites did cover, uh, the comic book bin apps at the time. Uh, although, um, the big ones did cover, I mean, big websites like, uh, Bloomberg did cover it. But, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, I think I saw an article on CNET about it yeah. as well, which was pretty huge. I know, it's there, but it's not in, like, if you look at comic book resources, not nada, nothing. Well, we're we're kind of in direct competition with guys like that too. I'm I know, sure. but we're still pushing the envelope, and the yeah. fact that it actually works, it, it works. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it gets to me. But but the Mark Waite thing is actually a good thing. It means that people are finally waking up. People are finally figuring out that there's going to be good stuff coming. And there's yeah. a way of presenting comics to a new generation. Uh, that means that I'm just going to up the game for them. <laughs> Uh, that's all it means. All it means is, is that the end user or the reader is going to get better comics out of his tablet and phone. That's all it's going to mean. So it's not a bad thing at all. It's actually a good thing. Now it's going to give me the kick I needed to watch out, Mark Wade. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, um, what kind of mobile stuff are you working on? That, like for your job, day job? Uh, Area. Some of it is learning, so a lot of uh, e-learning stuff, material. Um, and but it, it's always evolving. But uh, I've done, uh, you know, TED, right? TED.com. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, so I've got uh, two TED.com apps, uh, which I'm planning. I'm hoping one day I can move them to iOS and Android there, uh, because they're very good apps, extremely good apps, and they're five star. Actually, people uh, like them a lot. Um, there's a bunch, again, if you guys can uh, hack my Basecamp account. <laughs> I'm working on it right this second. I'm you, better, you better watch it, man. I think I do have some anonymous followers on Twitter. So, <laughs> <laughs> If you guys can uh, hack my Basecamp account, there's a bunch of projects. Uh, I mean, the idea is, uh, I mean, there's so many other apps I wanted to do uh, through my, as myself, not to my employer, but to myself. Uh, it's just time. It's a, it's an issue of time usually, but there's a lot of good stuff. And obviously the, 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 my, my main app, the one I, I really want to put the most emphasis on is obviously comic book bin, uh, on all the three platforms uh, and well, the fourth platform, which would be windows, uh, phone. Um, yeah, there's good stuff in there and yeah, I'm not going to say too much. All I'm going to say is that there's a lot of stuff, ideas that I had, and there's a lot of blueprints that exist. <laughs> Uh, oh, please don't hack me. <laughs> please don't hack me. <laughs> uh, things you ask so nicely. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's a good news. I mean, uh, I mean, I haven't heard of the Mark Way thing. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to go see and see how I'm, I can uh, make it better than his. Well, I don't think it would be terribly difficult to make it better. Okay. Like I said, there are some uh, uh, interface uh, problems. I think user interface problems. But, um, I mean, Mark Wade is, uh. Well, he didn't think, it's someone else who thought about it for him, I'm pretty sure. He's not a, he's not a info architecture guy. I'm, like, he's, that's not what he does. I mean, you have to be yeah. an architecture guy to figure out those problems. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I've been, that's, and, and that's a good, that's one thing that's always, uh, interesting about comics is that you don't have that kind of external talent that usually goes into comics. A, a little bit like you, Alexander. Um, it's, it's often, homegrown comic people who try to figure it out uh, even on the business side and I'm, I'm not sure if you need people with other ideas uh, that can understand the problems I mean the, the comic book reading issue on a digital format that's that's a UI issue uh, they have UI issue user interface issues in other type of things like you look at all the, the Twitter apps that you can find on your devices some of them are good, some of them are crappy. It's all a user interface issue. Um, and there's a lot of work that's involved in figuring out how to make, how to deliver that information as best as possible. And sometimes, uh, for example, there was a new app, uh, a new uh, Gmail app that was released uh, for Apple last week. 
uh, that actually made uh, a better Gmail app than the one from Google. Well, they, act, uh, they they figured out the problems actually, but it's it's not it's a lot a lot of a thought process has to go into that. So Mark Ray was was I guess lucky to find someone to stumble upon that. But I've been thinking about it for the last two years and actually had everything on paper, actually described physically how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Even even like graphics and stuff and charts and and and, and uh, what is it called mockups? Yeah, I've actually got the mockups. See, this is maybe, how you build it. And... Maybe maybe this is like a Fight Club situation where you don't know that you're uh, Tyler Durden, who's been working for <laughs> <laughs> working for Mark Wade for two years. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> oh boy, Alex, sorry for uh, hijacking. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we went off on a tangent. I do want to hear uh, a lot more about. Uh, the books that you have upcoming, and uh, I think I read somewhere that Alan Grant is doing a book with Simon Bisley. For uh, you guys? Not for, not for us. That would be for Berserker. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, was that the um, the dead? The zombie book? I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, we were we were co-publishing with Berserker to begin with. Okay. Um, doing the dead for them, which uh, Simon was um, doing pencils. Um, and I, I'm not sure if he's still doing anything with Berserker at the moment. I know Berserker okay. have got a huge Simon Bisley graphic novel coming out next yeah. year. Nice. Um, which, is, which is looking beautiful. <laughs> I <laughs> bet. <laughs> yeah, Simon's doing great work, but the color, color work that Ryan Brown's doing on that, it looks fantastic as well. Um, really, really nice book. Um, Alan's just written um, a one-off for us. Um, he just, I've just approved the script, the second draft script today, um, which is probably going to be called um, An Evening with Baal. Um, yeah. Baal was the storm god, one of the old original gods. Um, yeah. And he's, he's our villain in the Channel Evil series, which Alan wrote. Um, so that he's written an origin story, but in a chat show um, uh, environment. So Baal's on a, um, uh, a late night chat show talking about how he went from being the good guy to the bad guy with lots of flashbacks <laughs> to, to what happened back in the old days with all the gods fighting and stuff. Um, that's, that's good fun. It made me laugh out loud a couple of times. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, nice writing. Um, and he, the book that he wrote before that for us, which was The Loxley's and the War of 1812, um, he's, a found, he's a founder member of the company, so I keep saying he, he wrote it for us, but He's one of the directors and a, a partner in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, there were Loxley's in the War of eighteen twelve, which is our um, graphic novel, the only graphic novel, as far as I know, dealing with the uh, War of eighteen twelve during the bicentenary celebration, which seems remarkable to me, really, that nobody else has done one, not Blue Water or anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alan wrote a hundred and one page story about a Canadian family on the border with America. Um, as the war starts, and you you see the the war through the family's experiences, with the men going off to fight and the the war coming through their home and the farm. Um, it's got all the good emotional excitement and drama that you want from a an epic story, but it's also historically accurate. So mm-hmm. um, what I'm hoping is that people will write it, uh, read, read it because it's you know, Alan's written a great story and Claude and Laverne have done a fantastic job with the um, the artwork. And Todd Klein with the lettering as well. Um, but they'll learn the history at the same time and kind of 
understand a lot more about um, this weird chapter in uh, Canadian-American relations, which I'd never heard of until four years ago. Um, is, yeah. uh, is Alan Canadian or American? Alan is Scottish. Oh, okay. So he doesn't have any biases, right? <laughs> so he's um, he's not pro-English or pro-American <laughs> or pro-Canadian. Um, so he was he was able to look very objectively at it. Okay, um, that's we, good. Did a, we did we did a lot of research before we started working on the book. Okay. Uh, between us to make sure that we were even-handed. Because you read a book written by an American historian, nine times out of ten, it's uh, the War of Independence. It's Britain and uh, Canada trying to make America part of Britain again. If you read it from a, a British or Canadian author's point of view, it's the War of Independence, Canada trying to stay independent of America. Yeah. Um, and like every, every side was so diadetically opposed. Yeah. It's hard to find the truth about everything. Hmm. Um, so we did our best to... to to look through all the rhetoric and just say, well, these, this is what happened. And let's make a really nice story out of it. And then hopefully people will really enjoy the story and learn some of the truth as well. Now, I had done some reading about this last year, and it was while the war of 1812 was going on, it was America decided to um, invade Canada at one point? Or? Well, they invited yeah. us to join them. Mm-hmm. Kind of, and we kind of said no. Well, I found like uh, sad, but also fascinating about this war was that it, the parallels to to how our political leaders behave these days were just they were still there. You know, Two hundred years ago, Western political leaders were behaving in exactly the same way. Yeah, um, we were like uh, Henry Clay was one of the instigators of the war. Um, and he was basically someone who really wanted war. He was on record as saying, I prefer the, to be part of a country at war than a country at peace. Yeah. Peace is boring. Nothing gets done. War is well, dynamic. Part of a, war is part progress. Of war hawks, right? Yeah. yeah. So he was pushing for it. Without Henry Clay, there probably would have been no war. Britain and America would have grumbled and eventually they would have sorted out their differences, which were quite small at the time. Um, but with a political um, maverick, Henry Clay pushing uh, with his Warhawk supporters, pushing for war. Uh, it was really down to his charisma and his ability to move things along that the war started, which kind of reminds me of several conflicts over the last 20 or 30 years that um, Britain, America, and other countries of Canada have been involved in, with certain individuals pushing their agenda to, to get conflicts going. Um, yeah. It was back, back then, it was exactly the same. <laughs> And yeah, and Canada was the bargaining chip as far as the what the American politicians were saying is, we can't fight Britain, it's too far away, they're too powerful. We'll take Canada and we'll use it as a bargaining chip to negotiate peace with them under better terms, or we'll keep it. Um, and, and then that's where it all started from. And let's say it was quite a boring war in a lot of uh, aspects. You know, nobody really won, nobody really lost. Yeah. Um, the borders were the same. There weren't any huge, huge battles to get excited about. Um, but the intricacies of the, of the maneuvering and the effects it had on the normal uh, people in America and Canada are quite compelling, um, as is the legacy of what was left behind with the relationship between Canada, the, the US and Great Britain, uh, kind of solidifying um, pretty much without major interruption the trading relationships that exist today. Yeah, big friends. Yeah, we can make 
much more money if we work together rather than fighting each other. Let's do that. Let's <laughs> screw everybody else all together. Hey. <laughs> but, but my introduction to the War of 1812 was, was finding about the White House being burnt down, and I was shocked by that. So, yeah, yeah. But, how can I how, how can I get to this age and, and never have heard of that before? Wow, we need to do something about that now. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it's the public school system. <laughs> yeah. Trust us. Yeah. Uh, trust me, Sorry. we learn it in school. We we know about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you guys do. <laughs> well, yeah, probably over in the in the east, the the War of eighteen twelve was taught a bit better than it is in the west out here. Yeah, um, I'd have thought. I think they get two days in it. Yeah, yeah I, I honestly, uh, I don't even remember learning about the War of 1812 until uh, college, so. <laughs> uh, I don't even. Well, I wonder if you were taught the truth as well. Yeah, I probably was not. <laughs> yeah, there does seem to be bias on both sides of the border sometimes with the, it is. the facts of this. It is. It's a very touchy issue here uh, also. Well, you need to read the graphic novel and then you'll be, oh, I know everything. Yeah. I'll be all brushed up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good book. I'm very, very proud of it. Um, we've just submitted print files. It's going to be a beautiful hardback book. Um, it's bigger than a normal graphic novel. Did you present um, it to like the usual suspect, like uh, the universities, uh, like the history departments and stuff like that? Have you had any feedback on those guys? Uh, yeah, we've been working with Heritage Canada. Oh, um, oh, okay, that's good. In conjunction with them, that's um, good. Which has been which has been useful. As we haven't seen any financial investment from them but we've been coordinating with them on what we've been doing um, and we also have a, a historian on board okay. who's written a, a historical summary of the war for the back of the book which is illustrated so you read the comic book you like it you want to read a bit more and you can read all the stuff you need to know to find the ins and outs without having to go through a 500 page text textbook okay. um, so we're now submitting the pdf to um, historians to get their Know, pros and cons and it'd be That's interesting good. to see knowing the bias of some of them whether they are ah oh, you can't write that or whether they're like no this is a good balance to counter the war but I, one thing that everyone has said in the, in the three years it's taken to get this book done is that it's a fantastic way to engage people with their history mm -hmm. yeah That's from, from kids to adults and we've got pre-orders with our local bookstore here I think we've got 55 copies down and most of the people that have ordered it are guys and girls that have never read a comic book before Um, well, so this is a, this would be a perfect textbook um, yeah. for a lot of uh, like uh, junior colleges and uh, like uh, history 101 classes. Uh, I can see this book being uh, like uh, as a regular textbook, especially with the new generations who don't want to do a lot of uh, extensive reading and work. This could be a, <laughs> if I were a history professor in a, one of the local college, I would probably definitely get your book. Um, actually, I know some. Let me ask. Let me like. I know some uh, Canadian history uh, professor, university professors. I know a lot of them actually. Um, oh, that would be great. Yeah, I'd like to see what they think about it. Um, yeah, that would be good. Uh, we'll have we have copies of the book being delivered uh, probably the twenty second of April. Uh, it's not going to be in comic book stores through Diamond until probably the middle of June. Okay. Um, War, America declared war on the 18th of June, so we're trying to get it into comic book stores for then. Okay. But because we all had the book printed early, because we wanted to do the launch at Calgary Entertainment Expo, uh, wow. we are able to supply copies to stores that wanted direct earlier. That's good. Uh, so I'm um, start, just starting to go through the lists and make the calls. And so you some of the museums and schools and stuff will get it up front as well. 
Well, the, you know, well, since you're not too far from Calgary, you know that uh, there's a there's a the military history museum in Calgary. Um, they basically specialize in that, and um, that's what they do. I mean, they're that's their baby, and obviously, I know <clears throat> how to get in touch with them because obviously, I've worked with them. Um, okay, cool. So they're they're good. No, they're good people. But you mentioned Heritage Canada. Uh, you know that they have a whole thing about comics. Um, um, they even have a website about uh, actually that's Collections Canada. But they have a well that was done through Heritage. They have a whole website on Canadian-made comics. Um, so that's that. It's amazing that they still uh, collaborate. Basically, for our U.S. Uh, listeners, it's as if uh, I don't know. What is it called? That uh, Dan, what's the name of that institution in the States that, that has all those historical artifacts? The Library of Congress, probably. Uh, there's a Library yeah. of Congress. There's another one. Um, the Smithsonian? Yeah. It's as if ah, the Smithsonian yeah, was, working, was working with a comic book publisher and helping them. That's, that's a good work, actually. That's great. Yeah, I'll have to find out about that. No, I mean, you can't get, you can't ask better than their support. If they're supporting it, it's a, it's a great thing, yeah. Yeah, uh, so with Heritage Canada, we've had good, good communication with them um, and the great feedback on what we're doing, and they like what we're doing. Um, but because we are not um, a charity or an education, uh, a cent, you know, an educational business, we are a company that hopefully one day will make a profit, Um they are trying to figure out how they can support us with what we're doing. So um, hopefully we'll figure it out and they'll figure it out um, because they're, they're they're big fans of the book and they've seen from the tests and stuff we've done with school kids already just how much more they're engaged when they sit down and read their history in a comic book format written by really good writers and, and drawn by very good artists. Um, yeah, it's nice to see. I've done quite a few visual storytelling courses with local schools over the last couple of years. Um, and it's just great seeing kids respond to comic books. Um, and so many kids have never read one before because um, their parents don't think they're, they're worth the time sometimes or they just haven't been exposed to it. Um, okay. So one of the nice things is doing these classes. There's going to be there's five or six kids at the end of it say, yeah, I'm going to go and find some comic books and start reading and hopefully grow the, the readership for, our, for the medium that we love. It's exciting. Yeah, that's kind of weird. When I was a kid in the in the um, throughout grade school, we had comics in the back of the room all the time. Wow! Um, all kinds of comics. Well, no, basically European comics. But I mean, we had like stack of them, and when we had at like a five minute break, we could just go and pick up a comic. Um, I guess they don't do that anymore in schools. So, oh uh, well. Oh, I haven't seen it. I, I know some of the libraries have a few approved graphic novels, um, especially some manga titles. Um, but no, not in the classroom anymore, unfortunately. Shame. So, um, so you're doing historical comics. There's the, another. There's another company that does a few of them. Uh, there's NBM. Uh, I don't know if you know those guys. NBM Publishing. Uh, they're based in New York, and then there's also Blue Water, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Blue Water does biographies. Yep. Um, but I, I get, uh, I'm not trying to compare your work to Blue Water. <laughs> uh, I didn't make any comment here. 
So I've never read one of their titles, so I can't really comment too much, only by reputation. Um, um, but um, Midwest Comic Book Association. I'll look up NBN uh, in New York. Did you say? Yeah, they're NB, called NBM Comics, and they, they put out some good stuff. They put out like um, Rick Geary's uh, yeah. crime yeah, graphic it's novels. Yeah, he does a lot of those historical. Things some of the some of those um, collections, uh, like the um, uh, what was it the America's uh, Best Comics of such and such a year? Yeah, usually by NBM, and they have comic lit. Which is another imprint. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a, they do a lot of historical comics too. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, how do you find that? Because I mean, I remember years ago I bought a, a textbook on uh, comics, uh, historical comics, and there was something about uh, Indians and uh, cowboys. There was a whole study. I, I bought that book years ago. I don't even know why I have that book now. Um, how do you find that field like different from fiction and like? I guess the institutional um, support is different, right? Well, yeah. The thing with, with everything that we do is, is it comes from the idea or the story first, and then we figure out what goes around that afterwards. Um, so we have a bunch of horror titles, as well as the War of 1812 historical stuff, the action comics, some comedy, um, and then fantasy. And we've got some sci-fi now as well. And it's, it's not with any um, design of or genre that we think we should be working in. It's just whatever the story is at the time that wants to be told. Which um, is awesome. <laughs> yeah, which has been nice but hard because no one can pigeonhole us. So it's been yeah. harder for people to say, well, we don't know what to do with your books. Where do we put them on the shelf? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which know, so is a bit frustrating. Um, but we're getting there, and I think the fact that we deliver what we say we're going to deliver and it's good quality will tell in the end. Um, but with the historical stuff, what's been interesting with that is that there's starting to be some sniffing around from outside saying, well, we'd quite like to see comic book adaptations of other chapters in history that haven't been done before. So I'm going to keep an eye on those and see if they're things which are viable. Um, as you guys know, producing a comic book quality is really expensive and time-consuming. Um, and we, up until very, very recently, every single thing that we've produced has had a page rate comparable to, um, to the majors. Now, even if it's stuff that we're doing just amongst ourselves, now Alan's getting paid a, his, his page rate for the work he does. It, none, of it, none of it is a take a risk, a get paid later kind of model. Um, we're starting now to ex explore if a creative team wants to bring us a project and they've done it already, a bit like the image model, then we will support them publishing it, and we take a tiny percentage of any revenues. With you know, we're looking at, I think it's eighty percent of the revenues that come in go back to the creators, um, just to help them out if it fits within our kind of portfolio. Um, so looking at things like the historical comics is great and exciting, but unless there's some support from an institution or from the government or from a university or somebody to to get it created, it's or it's too big a risk for us to take ourselves. Because there might not be a big enough market out there um, to make the money back. Um, so it's kind of exciting, but at the same time fraught with risk. Like <laughs> yeah. Everything creative. So I don't know about you guys, but um, there's just not enough time in the day to to enjoy all the different forms of entertainment yeah. and recreation we have at our fingertips. Oh, yeah. So I have to justify the stuff that we do now. Is it worth somebody's time, this Know, 22 minutes for a comic or an hour for a graphic novel or whatever. Is it worth someone's time 
if we can say yes, I think it's worth someone's time, then then we'll look at doing it. Yeah, rather than just the cost. Yeah, that's a good Sorry. approach. Yeah, what did you say you have a lot of leisure time to read comic books or? No, no, I'm said so you're talking to a guy who has uh, a full D V R and uh stacks and stacks of unread comic books, so <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have those situation. too. <laughs> I mean I have tons of comics I haven't read that are sitting there. It's like I don't know how many. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. But I don't watch TV anymore, so <laughs> that's good. Yeah, gives you extra yeah. hours. Yeah, um, I'm so, still. Uh, oh, go ahead, Aaron. I was just because I'm still um, happy to to waste an, an hour catching up with Walking Dead or Californication. Or, oh yeah, uh, no, I have a select list of shows. People keep saying you need to watch The Wire. I know if I get a hold of The Wire, then then that'll be a day of my life. You know what? It's 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 really that's a I uh, I was talking to Mike Carey about uh, good television shows one time, and he was like, "You need to go get the wire right away." Right. Of course, in that that cool British accent that you guys have. (laughs) 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 Um, So I went out and I bought it, and it's been sitting uh, in my TV hutch for over a year now, unwatched. (laughs) Well, I've got the best one. I haven't watched a single episode of Lost. And I've really? Got, yeah, and I've got some DVDs sitting on a shelf waiting to be watched. Well, at the end, it really don't, turns don't, out don't tell me, worth don't it. tell me, don't tell me. <laughs> Spoiler alert! It's not please don't tell me. Episode. Please don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> no, but uh, speaking of good TV shows, there's a new one, uh, Awake, which is really good. I don't know if either of you guys have seen. Well, obviously, everybody you don't watch. But uh, man, that's been uh, incredible so far. It's on uh, NBC. Um, Really enjoying yes. it. Yeah, I am too. We were just—I was yes. just speculating with my wife Karen about um, what is the what's the reveal going to be when it comes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard it's, it was a new. Um, uh, sorry, uh, sorry. Um, you were going to say something? No, no. Actually, Karen's talking for hours, so it's best if you interrupt. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, there's a new TV show um, with Cody Chamberlain, if I'm not mistaken, with M- on MTV. I heard. I saw, well, I saw that on Twitter. Uh, he's doing a comic geeks show. Is he really? Yeah, but I don't exactly know because uh, obviously, since I'm way out of TV watching, yeah. them, I, I have no clue. It's pe- Comic Men, isn't there on AMC? Yeah, yeah, probably runs, that. Yeah, that and, runs after Walking Dead. Yeah, and it's that different. was a little more uh, lowbrow reality uh, show type thing. But I, I've always thought that there's a market for like a comics news, like half hour television show uh, on G G4 or something, because um, Attack of the Show always runs the uh, Fresh Ink segments, which I, I thought were pretty uh, popular. So it's I think it's cool that they're going to do something like that on M- MTV, though. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. But I don't know anything else about it. I mean, I've only seen a few, well, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's not enough to go by. I will check my Twitter feed and find out. Yeah, it's uh, Cody Chamberlain's going to be in it, so uh, that's all I know. Uh, all right. Well, when I uh, finish hacking your um, account, then I will uh, <laughs> carry on searching for this. You think you can uh, you can hack Basecamp? <laughs> no, I probably couldn't find it on Google if I tried. Um, 
<laughs> no, I have no hacking skills whatsoever. <laughs> but I can pretend. Okay. For the, for the sake of this conversation, I will pretend to be a master hacker. So uh, now that we have gone on another ridiculous tangent, <laughs> yep. What uh, what else do you guys have coming out from um, Renegade? Okay, so we have a, a bunch of titles in the works. Um, we've got the second two issues of Channel Evil coming out um, <laughs> to, to finish the arc. Um, the Loxies and the War of 1812 we've talked about, that's April. And then we have Department of Monstrology, um, which is Gordon Rennie, who's another Scottish uh, writer. Um, he's done a lot for 2000 AD, some of the American publishers. And he wrote the uh, the story for Killzone, the first of the computer games. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. He writes quite a few. Actually. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I thought it was very cinematic. Um, he does a lot of uh, computer game work as well as comic book work. Um, and he's written what, uh, the be- easiest way to describe it is it's like an English um, BPRD style okay. setup. Cool. Um, you know, kind of Cthulhu-esque um, take on, the, on contemporary Earth, but with a lot of dark humor in there. Um, mm-hmm. And PJ Holden, who's just come off uh, Robocop versus Terminators. Yeah. Dynamite, I think that was. Yeah, um, Dynamite. Is the artist on that one. Um, and that's cool. great. Uh, so the f- they've got two issues in the bag, and PJ's uh, inking issue three at the moment, and we're not going to submit it until all four are ready. Um, one of the things we learned with Channel Evil, uh, after Shane had, uh, Oakley had uh, drawn the first issue, he had some serious health issues, which meant um, it was a year before he could really work again. Um, and we didn't want to replace him with a different artist because his style was so distinctive for that story um, that we waited and it, it meant that the heat went out of the, the title. People kind of forgot about it. So I've learned as a publisher to, to wait until we're sure that we can deliver a, an ongoing series every month. So with all our titles now, nothing gets submitted until we're sure it can be delivered on time. Gotcha. That's a good policy. And is it easier with Diamond these days? Easier for what? Uh, submitting <laughs> projects, submitting comic series and stuff. Um, well, I, we, I work with Jay Spence at Diamond Comics, um, and he's a, good, he's a good guy, and he's a comics fan. Um, he's incredibly busy, um, so it makes it difficult for him. Um, we're only a small publisher in the scheme of things. I mean, Shame doubled what they expected in terms of their numbers, so that helps us with future titles. But it's still very much, let's have a look at the title and see what it's going to do from their end. Now, is there something in this which means it's going to be more of a risk or less of a risk? Um, so it's a case-by-case basis. So we, we, I, I like working with Diamond on one level, and on the other, it's like dealing with the devil. Um, so we try and work with stores where we can. Um, some, of our, some of the stores in the UK tell us that Diamond have told them that our books are out of stock and sold out and can't be got back in. I speak to our rep, to Jay, and he says, no, 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 we wouldn't say that. That's staff. We, I know that the books are there and we can get them. We, I know he's telling me the truth. Um, but it doesn't help the comic book stores in different places that want the books that can't get them. So we do supply directly to stores as well. So not supplanting Diamond, but supplementing what they do. Um, and I think we're going to have to be a lot more aggressive in working with comic book stores to get them aware of what we're doing. Um, otherwise, we're just going to disappear in the, the, the avalanche of Marvel and DC uh, yeah. titles. Unfortunately, that's... 
yeah, <laughs> there's just a, a deluge of uh, mainstream mediocrity, it seems like, right now. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't read much of the mainstream Marvel and DC comics, just yeah. on the old time for entertainment. Rule. Mm-hmm. I read Vertigo titles. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed DCU. I thought that was great. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I tend to follow the creators now rather than the, the uh, character yeah. um, or the publisher with a lot of things um, but we've got um, Tales of the Buddha coming out as a collection um, mm-hmm. in April as well which is Alan Grant and John Harwood which is a, uh, a, a, a comic collection a very a selection of humorous strips looking at what um, Buddha got up to when he got fed up waiting for enlightenment to happen and he took a bit of hiatus to check out other religions do a lot of drinking and womanizing partying along the way um, so that's kind of different and fun uh, and what else we've got uh, Robbie Burns Witch Hunter um, which is I don't know if you've heard of Robbie Burns Robert Burns the, the very famous Scottish poet <laughs> um, if he's not Google him because you'll recognise some of the quotes from his poems um, so yeah I'll have to do that because it's, it's not coming to me right off the top of my head no. yeah yeah you'll recognise some of them um, okay. he wrote Old Lang Syne for instance oh wow yeah, uh, the New Year's song. song. Yeah. yeah. So okay. this, this this book explores what he got up to when he wasn't writing poetry, when he was uh, trained to be a a, uh, a witch hunter hunting uh, <laughs> demons and um, evil witches in the Scottish Highlands. Um, well, being press ganged into doing it. Yeah. But it's, it's again a very very funny dark story that Gordon's written. So we're looking forward to that one. Um, I'm trying to think what else. There's a bunch of stuff. Laverne's written uh, Necromantic. Uh, which is uh, a very dark action comic. Um, and what else have we got? Turning Tiger Book 2, which is all ages, science fiction, family fun. Um, that that book's gone down really well uh, with adults and with uh, probably 10-year-olds plus. Um, it, it works on two levels. Um, so it's a good title if you've got kids or you, you've got relatives who are young and you want to get them into reading comic books and they don't really go for the superhero stuff. It's got giant giant robots, explosions, um, and a, a nice emotional journey. deals with some proper family issues as well. So I rec- recommend that series. Um, yeah, and a bunch of other things which are a little bit too early to talk about. Um, sure. But uh, I can talk about Bloodlight, because I'm, I'm writing that one, so I'm allowed to talk about that one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is set during Cromwell's... Uh, Oliver Cromwell. You heard of Oliver Cromwell? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> the, the infamous Oliver Cromwell that yeah. led the uh, the civil war in the UK when uh, the we lost, the monarchy lost their power. Uh, so it explores what happened when he uh, led the conquest of Ireland and uh, tried to eradicate most of the Catholics there, um, <laughs> but with a supernatural twist. So again, in a historical setting, but an alternate version of history. <laughs> Um, so I'm really enjoying that, and that's adapted from one of the screenplays I wrote a long time ago. Um, and I'm working with Al Davison, and he's painting the pages, and he's trying to give John Bolton a run for his money with his uh, with oh, his comic. Wow, wow. <laughs> so, um, that's that's looking great. Um, but that's 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 still a year or so from coming out because we're going to do it as a, a single book um, rather than serialise it. Okay. Um, and there's lots of other things like the movies and the audio books and other things. So lots to explore from us, depending what you're into. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell us 
What um, what kind of content do you guys do with the audiobooks? I noticed a lot of uh, uh, Poe. Um. Yeah, well, this is really Doug's, Doug Bradley's baby. Um, he <laughs> records audiobooks for other publishers, and he'd just done uh, Clive Barker's Mr. Begone. Oh, okay. I think it was for uh, Half Collins. Um, and he loves classic horror stories that work of Edgar Allan Poe, uh, H.P. Lovecraft, um, Charles Dickens, Ambrose Bierce, um, Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, and he was trying to find good audiobooks for those stories to listen to um, himself when traveling, because he does a lot of traveling for acting and for the conventions. And he couldn't find decent versions of, of many of the stories. There's lots of free versions out there, and it's like the guy doing it has no passion for the stories that he's reading or understanding of how to tell a good story. Mm. So one of Doug's first things was to challenge us to, to record the definitive versions of these books. Um, so he starts, he reads most of the books, and he is a classically trained actor, as well as a horror icon. And his reading is fantastic. When he reads um, Lovecraft, like his reading of Cthulhu, uh, it's just spine. It is spine tingling. It's great. So uh, we we recorded the most popular and most um, well known stories by all of these authors and started releasing them on CD. Um, and then Doug was talking to Robert England, and Robert said he would like to record a couple of stories too. So we brought oh, wow. uh, Freddy Krueger into the studio, yeah. and Doug directed him to record. Um, and then Jeffrey Coombs wanted to do some stuff too, so we brought him in to, to re-record the Reanimator stories, uh, which he's he's known for doing in the movies. Um, and we're looking at other Hollywood horror icons as well coming in to do their stories next year. Um, so it's kind of grown now. I think we've got 40 hours worth of stories that are out there. Um, we're releasing a few more um, over the next couple of months that, that have been finished. Doug's just got to record the introduction to the author's because we do a lot of research into the stories and to the writers behind it and where they were when they wrote it uh, to kind of give people more of a background to what was going on. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe and uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, between them, I think, invented half a dozen of the genres that we <laughs> take for granted now. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realise that Edgar Allan Poe basically invented the detective story. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Arthur Conan Doyle was the first person to look at the skies and imagine... Maybe there's something up there that we don't know about. And he kind of yeah. invented sky sci-fi, <laughs> if that's the genre. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's been fascinating doing, the, doing these stories. And they've also been extremely popular. There are, you know, there, there are backup um, revenue whilst we work on comic books. Um, you know, every month they, they sell a decent number. Um, so hooray for audiobooks and the love of great authors. And we've also had, you know, a lot of these authors are public domain. So their stories are free to adapt. But uh, we have licenses to some of the stories which aren't public domain. I think we're the only audiobook company that have done adaptations to some of these stories so far. Uh, oh, wow. Which is kind of exciting. Yeah, cool. Are those available on uh, iTunes? You can get them through iTunes um, as a collective editions. Okay. Um, uh, from Audible as well. Uh, but, and from our website, we sell the individual stories as MP3s. Um, I don't believe in DRM for anything. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a handicap for somebody trying to sell something, and it's a definite handicap for people trying to buy stuff. So all yeah. our comic books and um, uh, MP3s, audiobooks that we do, that we sell from our website, um, 
are DRM free, so you can move them to any mobile device, back them up into CD, do what you do, you, what, what you want to do to make the experience a pleasure. That's good. So That's yeah. great. Um, and then we've done a couple of the short stories as uh, movie adaptations as well, which Doug directed and starred in. Um, and what we did was he learned the text of the stories uh, word for word, <laughs> and then he performed them in a green screen studio, um, and I filmed him. And then our artists and animators built the world and the stories around him. Um, so it's true to the original text of the author, but at the same time, it's an experience that goes great in the cinema or on a widescreen TV or even on your phone. We're just about to do it as do them as iPhone versions because we finally figured out how to, to make them look good because um, they're very dark and moody and just didn't want it to look like a black blob on the screen or a over overlit um, blob on the screen. Uh, so that's exciting. So they'll be out in April as well. That's awesome. Wow, you guys are quite busy. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. If, um, I get lots of people approaching us from the creative side of things that want to work with us. But if you know anybody on the PR or the business side or the technical side of things that want to work with us, I'd love to hear from them. Well, you, you do work with uh, John Luca, right? Yes. Yeah, he does a great, great job with our PR. Yeah, let me put a plug for John Luca here. Uh, yeah, go for it. He's one of the best PR guys in comics. Um, I know people, well, PR people in comics are kind of invisible. Uh, they're not for, well, on our side, on Comic Book Bin. I don't know if you interact with them too much, uh, Dan, but I do. Uh, first, most of them don't know who you are. They just send a generic email. Uh, they don't take time to know you. And they just push whatever they, they, they push, like the customers that they push, they just push. It's like a, they just click on the submit button and just send mass emails. Uh, so they don't even take the time, to. I would say, to properly represent their client or if they're a bigger publisher, whatever the, the whole stable, the whole of people they represent. And on the other end, they don't take the time unless you're one of the few sites, which I won't mention here. We'll probably talk about them later. <laughs> uh, unless you're one of those guys, uh, they won't take much time with you either. Um, so usually I don't think much of PR people in comics are uh, very often. I mean, there's a few that are quite good, but most of them are not very good. And even when you call them, they don't really have much time for you. Um, John Luca is probably one of the exceptions. There, there's a, I mean, he's not the only one, obviously, but the good PR people in comics that actually understand what they're supposed to be doing. Um, there's a few of, there's not many of them and that actually represent their client to the press properly. Uh, again, there's not many of them either. So if you were a smaller publisher and you're looking for a good PR person, here's a plug for Gianluca. There's also uh, some, there's someone else. There's also Liz, um, what's her family name? Uh, Z uh Zilda. Uh, she's gonna kill me. Um, <laughs> uh, she's also good. Um, but I mean, it's, it's not easy to work with PR people in comics. I mean, most of them don't always get it and most of them are probably trying to be on the creative side themselves so I'm not sure if they're all they're always doing the best job for whoever they represent if they're trying to compete with them down the line anyway um, I'm not sure if it's a but uh, yeah John has a, a good person to go yeah, to yeah I've, I've been working with him I guess just for the past two weeks but he's been uh, really great at uh, <laughs> at least being patient with me I know I can 
uh, slips my mind to uh, return emails sometimes, but he's been uh, really uh, patient and he's really helped us, uh, you know, recently with connecting with uh, creators like uh, like you, Alexander, and um, Mr. Elliot from last week. And yeah. So I mean, I so, appreciate yeah. that because I've been working with him for years. Um, and he's always done a good job. He's always represented his customers, his clients quite well. Um, so yeah, I say, guys, if you can find this guy, if you're a smaller publisher, go with him. He's going to do the best PR possible, uh, for you. Um, it's not easy to do PR in comics. I mean, because comics, it's funny. I mean, we don't really do real news. <laughs> we try to, but we don't <laughs> at the news sites. And as you probably know, Alexander, um, not many people, because you, before we started the recording, that's a discussion that I thought was interesting. You were mentioning our, not many website, comic news site really cared about your products, or even wanted to talk to you or something like that, which I don't understand. I mean, I, I mean, there's this thing about doing things for numbers. Um, maybe, well, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I'm the one who doesn't get it. Uh, but you can't always do DC Marvel coverage. Personally, it sickens me. I mean, uh, it's kind of ridiculous. It's it's brain dead material anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, man. <laughs> well, I think those comics have an audience. Uh, I read them. I read some of them. Some of them are good. Like I, I yeah, did a crazy yeah. review of Dead Man. I don't know if you read it already, Dan. I I dropped that book. Oh, okay. um, after, just because I, I, I mean I had to you know I'm going to use the uh, the common excuse uh, it's a recession <laughs> yeah <laughs> I had to drop a lot of titles when I, I did a review read, about but... it yesterday I really liked it I mean I, I and in the re I did not smoke any anything or consume anything before <laughs> I wrote the review but I thought it was just a good comic so I just wrote this crazy <laughs> review about it because I just felt like that because it it was just a good comic, but I don't get that feeling often enough. Uh, yeah. Well, these days I get it from stuff that's not published most of the time by the big two. Uh, just like you, Dan. I mean, it, it's not easy. Yeah. I mean, we. Yeah. I mean, we love comics. I mean, I love comics like pff, no one's business. It's crazy. I don't even know why I love comics, but I love comics like crazy. I've always loved them since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, so when we, sometimes you get jaded. I mean, the the, the content is just not there. Yeah. Uh, and it's always a challenge. So when you have a good PR to bring it back, <laughs> when you have a good PR person that can help you push this, the kind of stuff, because there's a lot of noise. It's not easy to, the, even as a comic news site, it's not easy to find the good stuff and talk about it. It's very, it's not yeah. easy. And well, I think that was the problem with, uh, with web comics too. It's hard to find, uh, yes. Like the, the good web comics aren't, aren't getting the exposure that they need for, for guys like us to, you know, get to them on a frequent basis. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I do want to bring it back to your comment about uh, smoking or consuming anything before that review. <laughs> Is it something that you get accused of pretty often? Or <laughs> 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 do people write you and say, what were you smoking before you refused that Dead Man comic? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Some of the reviews are, are crazy at the bin. Yeah. Uh, that one was crazy. I mean, if you go, go read it, I mean, it's completely, it, it's out there. But, uh, yeah. Um, but then it, 
I mean, that's what's fun about comics. And that's what I, I don't... I would say uh, the comic news side, they don't take risks. They don't take chances. Uh, they, they'll cover the safe stuff. Yeah. And you, you read that the review of the main DC Marvel stuff, and they always give it a good mark. I've given minus yeah. minus five to comics before. <laughs> I've actually had to create in the system. Yeah, I had to add it because the system doesn't do it automatically, the minus five, obviously. I mean, it does zero, but it doesn't do minus five. <laughs> But I've, I've actually found some comics so, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I've actually found some Marvel and DC comics so bad that I couldn't give them a zero. I had to give them a minus something, and I had to go in the system and manually crunch the minus something thing so it was possible to give someone a minus mark. Um, and the comic sites, you ask yourself, aren't those guys passionate about what they do? Or they're just trying to get a job in the industry. Like, don't they really care about this stuff? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about bad PR. I think that's true for a lot of uh, people in the medium. You know, it's it's about getting a job in the comics industry as a creator at some point. Yes. So <laughs> you don't want to step on anybody's toes, or <laughs> I don't know. Um... I, it's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes people uh, just don't identify with a story, um, and yeah. they, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't grab them. So it's, it's, I guess, it's the way we react to all forms of entertainment. We can watch the same movie, and the three of us have very different reactions to it. The same with reading a comic book. Um, I know from talking to some creators that they get angry when there's editorial interference with the story, and that messes yeah. it up for everybody. Yeah, that's that's a different different yeah. kind of worms altogether. Yeah, it's something it's something that I, I it's been on my mind a lot lately. Yeah, uh, you've written about it. At least the editorial yeah the editorial side uh, of Marvel and DC. That's a, that's a that's another story for another time, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> he wrote a nice essay about it. That's actually. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> well, have you guys read Saga yet? Yes, uh, I did. No. Ah, it's waiting for me at Red Skull Comics to go and pick up. I haven't been able to get into Calgary yet to get there. So, what did, what did you one think of, of that? One of our readers wrote a really uh, nice review on it. I think it was Zach Edwards. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And it's huge. It's like a... I want to say, is it a 32-page or 40-page comic without any ads? And it's just this really... Uh, uh, I really identified with it, and, and I kind of want to write about um, kind of uh, part of the story dealing with the outsourcing of war, because I kind of felt that as a uh, Afghan veteran myself, that the dominant American culture has become so detached from the war that it's almost like it's not even you know, a part of uh, American culture at all, <laughs> but uh, it was really cool. It was it's a good satire, um, but also a good uh, character piece, and uh, I re- I would recommend it. Highly recommend it. Great! I'm looking forward to reading it. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Staples is an artist that I really really like her work. Have to. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. She would. Her stuff is great in that. So 
And Brian K. Vaughn is always a great writer. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, my the comic store I go to, they were supposed to. Uh, they told me about it. They told me they were gonna keep a copy just for me, because um, I've been asking them if you know stuff that's good, just put it in my list. Because uh, obviously they know, they know you I cover. Do it. Uh, well, I, I haven't been to the comic store uh, what in two weeks because I haven't had time. But uh, oh, I guess... blasphemy! <laughs> well, you know, do you know how many comics I've got in front of me looking at me? Yeah, <laughs> I'm the same way, but I still go every week. <laughs> I mean, uh, from uh, like yesterday, I think I wrote a couple of reviews. Like I wrote a Dead Man review. I think that that, that issue was came out like in November or something. And I wrote the, the review only last night. Yeah, so. I, was, I was gonna say there's a whole new, uh, <laughs> a whole new like part of that anthology now. They've moved on past uh, the Dead Man thing entirely. I think. I know, but uh, <laughs> I mean, there's so many comics. I don't know. So yeah, yeah. You'll have to have to quit your job and just read comics full time. <laughs> 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 well, one thing I, I am focusing right now is uh, finishing all the the, the Malaysian comics. I don't know if you know about that, Alexander. We're doing a, a comics in Malaysia series right now. Okay. Uh, so, no. so we did one on uh, Thailand just before, on, on right. Thai comics, and now we're doing the Malay comic. And I've got a bunch of them to read. Um, and it's it's actually good stuff. It, it's fun. It's so different from anything else I'm used to, uh, that you just where, where, go in there, and it, it's crazy. Whereabouts would I find that on the website? Um, there currently, if you go on the homepage, you'll see it's all there. I mean, uh, the like I wrote a review this morning, so if you link to one of the articles, you'll find all the other related articles to that. Uh, it's it's again material that you you can't find. I mean, I had to go over there to find the material, and I had some help with the, the local uh, bookstore people, and they really helped me a lot to get me like the good material, the good comics that would be representative of their country. Um, and I'm quite grateful for that. And it's it's comics, it's different stuff from what we have here, but it is a it, it is comics material. One of the issues I've got is I wish some some uh, enterprising publisher would just go there and translate all this material. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a business opportunity that's waiting. I mean, some of the material that they have is the same level that, in terms of the professionalism, right. it's the same level. The only investment that has to be done is a translation. And obviously, well, you need to bring it overseas. I mean, there's a licensing and all of that. Uh, but I mean, uh, this stuff has already been tested with an audience and they know whether it's going to work or not. Some of those creators, I mean, one of them, um, I really like uh, the Malay guys. Uh, he's got a bunch of comics he's, he, he's created. And you can see, like, he's one of those big artists. And the problem I've got is that I've got that language barrier, and I just can't get, like, the... What is it called? I, I can't... I, yeah, I can't get into it 100%, because, I mean, the, of that language barrier, I just can't read Malay. I mean, I can't, I mean, obviously. And and you see that, you look at the illustration, and you're like, this stuff is so strong, so well illustrated, that I'm pretty sure the story underneath must be as good. I mean, and I read this. Well, from what I can get from the stories, they're good too. Uh, but I don't have all the the nuances. Calling. The Kampung Boy. Um, That's a classic. You need to read. Uh, that one is actually available in English. 
um, First Second Books has a version that they can get you. Right. Um, that one is a very good book. Hey, sorry, Brad, but I, Oh, that's okay. My, uh, Skype was doing something weird. I could hear a ringing, but nothing was coming up. <laughs> So uh, there's, I mean, there's good material. The, the Kampung Boy you, you can easily get from first, second book, like I, I was mentioning. Uh, and there's like a seri- a lot of books on that little character there, and it's actually a, an autobiography that was done in the seventies from uh, one of the top uh, cartoonists in Malaysia. Uh, and if when you open the book, you, you know that you're dealing with someone like the same level as a uh, uh, what's his name, the guy who did. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes, it's that level. You know, you. I mean, even though it's from a completely different country, you look at the graphics and you just know this stuff is at that level and we should be, people should be celebrating this comic book as well as they are celebrating something from Calvin and, well, Calvin and Hobbes it's, books. Uh, it's the same level. Bill, Bill Waterson. Yeah, yeah. It's Calvin and Hobbes, yeah. Yeah, it's the same level. But this one, obviously, if you're trying to be an enterprising publisher, that one already has a license because it's one of those classics that they have over there. But the other material, I mean, even the stuff like the one I reviewed today, uh, Shabu Shabu, that, that's for kids, obviously, it's for kids. But it it's a chicken waiter at a restaurant that waits table, and there's a bunch of stupid, not stupid, but crazy customers. His boss is a an old guy, balding, uh, fat, Dressing as a ballerina and dancing all around the tables all the time, <laughs> but it, 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 it you know it's fun stuff. If you're a kid, you're gonna just crack up, and not just a kid. I mean, um, I don't want to insult Archie, but if I were a kid, I'd rather read some chicken waiter in a restaurant and read a Archie comics. I'm I'm sorry, but I mean this is actually fun and. There's a couple of strips I put in the... I, I just put one strip of the Shabu Shabu. It's just crazy fun. And you don't even need to read to be able to understand the language fully. The The graphics are so clear. And a lot of those comics are... They're at that level. And it's stuff... It's material. Uh, obviously, you have to go make a trip over there to find all the material and make all the contacts with those guys. But those guys don't have any licenses in English. They don't. So, I mean, this is like a, a gold mine of good, ma- and it's good, solid material. And I've, I mean, it's quite popular. This one, the Shabu Shabu, they've published first four books per, since then. And the Shabu Shabu was this, the, the artist's first uh, comic, if I'm not mistaken. And it's already at uh, like a professional level right off the gate. Um, so, yeah, I guess, and it's probably stuff like that that makes me find my fashion back for comics, uh, material like that, that you just can't find, and other sites will not cover. Just like they probably have, uh, I don't know, resistance about covering stuff from um, Renegade. How, how's your experience with that so far, Alex? Um, it's difficult. Um, it, it is difficult. Uh, John Lucas is helping, but it, we have to play uh, things like the exclusives game. Oh, uh, where you have to say, hold on to a, a piece of news, and uh, and then John Luca will see if the, one of the top sites will take it. But if um, if they're not the first one to get it, they don't want to cover it at all half the time. Um, so the the smaller sites, the ones which don't have the uh, the quite the 
prestige of the top four or five are a lot more receptive, a lot more friendly and a lot easier to work with. Um, but but it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because there's so many stories coming from so many publishers. Um, I, yeah. I imagine that you guys get press releases all the time. Yeah. And kind of <laughs> sift through and figure out what's worth covering, what's not. And we I just... think everybody gets all the... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I get most of them. And I mean, uh, it's funny. I get so many press releases, I could post five of them every day if I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, it's, it's difficult. And we just you know, try and find ways of getting onto the sites where it makes sense to read about what we're doing. Um, we do we put our horror stuff through Comic Monsters, for instance. Um, we try and, and reach out to the mainstream press. Um, and quite often they're very polite and gracious and saying they have just so much from mainstream publishers and uh, movies and TV and everything else to cover that there's hardly any room at all for for, for us, for independent publishers. Um, unless you've already proved that your book is successful and popular and then they want to cover it. Hmm. By then it's a little bit late. Um, so I don't know. I, I've, I'm still learning. Every day I'm learning something new about the comics publishing business. Um, I'm talking to you guys. I'm learning stuff. Um what's the sorts of things that people want to, to read, what are the things that you guys are interested in um, and I'll try and make notes and, and I know John Luke is very good at it as well of saying okay well we know these guys like this kind of stuff so let's make sure they get this kind of information because they're more likely to, to want to read about it and tell other people about it than they are the other stuff that we know they don't want and they don't have much of an interest in um, so it's tricky it's funny, uh, coming from the other side I would say it's mostly time <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not a lack of in interest. I mean, like today I had, I had some time this morning, so I actually put two press releases from uh, Blue Water. Right. Uh, um, now, uh, I'll be honest with you, I've never bought a Blue Water comic book. Um, so I wouldn't say it's personal, I wouldn't say it's interest in the Blue Water material. Right. But it's just convenient sometimes. You just want to put a couple of press releases. Oh, Blue Water has always has press releases. <laughs> <laughs> they always have a press release that's ready. Um, well, I know what you mean about the time thing, because uh, at the moment it's my responsibility to update the blog on the website. Um, and sometimes people like Alan or Doug will write bits for it, but it's my responsibility to put it together and physically get it onto the website. Mm -hmm. um, and usually that's one of those jobs which can be shunted down the list as more important things come in, like there's a proofing change with a print file that needs to be done now. Okay, so I need to coordinate that for a couple of hours. Uh, I've got to edit the latest script so it can go to the writer to have some changes so the artist isn't waiting around. That takes priority. And then suddenly you realize that for two weeks you haven't updated the blog because it's always been the thing to be pushed down the line, Yeah, yeah. which is where we are right now. Um, I noticed our front page needs updating. I was like, okay, well, I know there's four updates ready to be worked on, but I need to put aside those two hours to do it. Um, so I understand your time issues. Uh, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, I would say at the comic book bin, we don't say no to any type of comics. Uh, we haven't. Um, That's good. It, it's it's usually a matter of time. Most most of the time, it's it's really time. Um, yeah. And we will cover, I mean, yesterday I covered a, a mini comics from uh, John Spina called, um, 
uh, grandma stories. It's actually, uh, maybe my review was a little bit, uh, or harsh in hindsight. It's not a bad mini comics at all. It's a 24 hour comics that he wrote. Uh, it's not bad at all. Uh, I probably didn't give, I mean, I only gave it a seven because it didn't grab me, but it, it's not, in case you guys read the review and or, or if you're Spina, uh, it's not a bad mini comics at all. It's actually a cool premise. Uh, his grandma told him about stories that he could just put in this quick comics. And I, I, the premise is good, but I thought that he didn't go far enough. That's all. Maybe that's what I should have said. He didn't go far well, enough. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I think one of the misconceptions about uh, grading is a problem with uh, comic book uh, media as well, because I, you know, in the international scale of uh, comic book grading, a seven is still, you know, it's a good comic book. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people get uh, uh, butthurt about getting a seven, but I mean, that's, you know, an eight is a great comic, a nine is an amazing comic. Yeah. You know, so I mean, seven, I mean. You made a good comic. <laughs> yeah. You know? It just didn't grab me, that's all. Uh, Seven is a good number. So it's not bad, and I, I do encourage <laughs> yeah. people to go. Lucky and, number. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people should go and get that comic. It's a mini comics. I haven't seen them. Uh, I mean, I've seen a few mini comics, and sometimes you ask yourself, are people still making them? And yes, people are still making them. So I, I'm, I'm quite happy that there's a part of the industry that still feel doing a Ashcan or mini comics, whatever they call them. Uh, those are still like being done right now, and it's always been like in the like something a, a genre that's always been in the industry and celebrated. And I'm so happy to see that people are still doing them because they, that's the best school to train yourself into making even better comics in the future. And a lot of creators have started by doing those, uh, and they're quite easier to do. Uh, they're low cost and so on, and especially with the web right now, it's probably easier to publish them. But part of me felt guilty. I'm like. And that's the thing. I shouldn't be. I, sh I should not feel any guilt about giving a seven to someone, uh, because I know that giving it a seven means he's not going to get the sales that he, he probably would have liked. People are going to say, "Ah, oh, he's just giving it a seven. It's probably crap." It's not crap. It's actually better than most of the comics I probably read that week. But it didn't grab me yeah. in any way, and so it, it's it's kind of tough. It's not easy. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, it's not easy. I'm not going to start crying. I mean, I've got it. <laughs> <It'll>, <laughs> I mean, it'll be okay, man. It'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, no, that's that's not bad. Seven. If you're listening, seven's great. Be happy with a seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it 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 could be a lot worse. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, uh, yeah, I think comics are cool, and uh, as Dan and. Um, me, we've, we, I mean, especially Dan, we've covered like, there's like a renaissance in comics right, happening right now. Yeah. And yeah. it's quite Definitely fun. Definitely, and books are, are really surging at the moment, it seems like. Yeah, there's some great, there's some great comics out there. Yeah. Yeah. All that's missing is a good license material from overseas now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk about that uh, later on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do uh, let's do lunch in Calgary and uh, <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's good comics all over the place, uh, not just in Asia, but other places like Argentina. That's when was the last time someone ever translated a, an Argentinian comic book? We know that they have this whole industry over there that's vibrant and there are tons of material. And when was the last time a publisher took a chance and went to Argentina, met the met the local publishers there, and said, 
okay, we'll license your stuff. We'll put it, we'll, we'll publish it in North America in English for you. When was the last time someone did that? I mean, some of the best comic book creators like Hugo Pratt came from an Argentinian background. Well, he was Italian, but he worked in Argentinian comics for quite a while. Um, somewhat, an industry that birthed someone like Hugo Pratt could not birth any more great creators. Come on. And those guys have been doing it since, what, the 50s? They've been publishing comics nonstop since the 50s. I mean, there's a tr there's so much ma good material that's over there that we don't know about. And I guess, oh boy, maybe I'm changing the mission statement of the comic book, Ben. <laughs> 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 Go and discover those comics that no one's talking about. I mean, that's a great mission. Uh, yeah. It will... I will say we will take a hit on numbers. I mean, the moment we stop doing Marvel in DC, we take a hit on numbers. <laughs> but then at least, I guess it, it's still true stuff. I mean, when you see something, at, at least you know it's not fake. I mean, it's yeah. we're not trying to play the Newsarama comic book resource game. We're actually trying to do something. We're actually trying to help this industry. We're actually trying to do good here. We're not trying to just get the advertisement revenue or something like that. I mean, we're yeah. we're actually yeah. doing what we think we're supposed to be doing, which is this is comics and this is the universe and let's go and fill the gap in between. That's, that's our job to do. That's what news sites are supposed to be about. Not just publishing Marvel press releases every day. Uh, no, but, I think it's a great idea. I'm, I've learned lots of new, interesting stuff just from chatting with you guys this evening. Wow. Well, that's comic book, Ben. That's what we do. I mean, we've always I, done I feel fulfilled. <laughs> we've always done stuff like that, by the way. I mean, we've got 10 years of, material that no a lot of the stuff we've we've approached uh, a lot of time af after that actually a lot of time we 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 cover stuff and then we find it two or three months later we f the big site talk about it and they talk as yeah. if they had uh, discovered and all that stuff and no it was at the bin the bin discovered that we did the work we did all the groundwork first uh those creators that no one has had ever heard before we did the interviews first um, we did the work first, and then when those other guys became popular, um, you know, but that's, I mean, that's, I guess that's our job, I guess. That's what the we cutting do. Edge, of, edge of comic book research. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? I mean, that's what we do. I, I mean, some of the sites, they won't take chances like that. I mean, we're probably, Comic Book Bin's probably the only real independent site. I mean, I'm the guy who's behind Comic Book Bin. So I'm not some, uh, stooge, some, or some suit, or, you know, I don't know how to explain that, but some, uh, I'm not some like imper like I'm actually a real human. <laughs> not that they're not human, but I mean I'm not like a name on a piece of paper. Like I'm not some uh, like a I don't know how to say that. Like a I'm you're actually like a real a person. Manager. Is that what you're trying to say? A, a what? You're not a company man. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a it's a real site. I mean, and and Dan can vouch for that. We've always had the full independence of the writers. They he can. Dan, have you always been in the like free to write whatever you want to write about? It's like a sweatshop here. <laughs> <laughs> the truth's come out at last. Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, uh, Hervé is uh, editor in chief only in name. You know, we really um, get the freedom to post whatever we want and whatever we're we're thinking about at the time. And it's really. Uh, I mean, we've. I think we've um, written some pretty radical stuff too on the site. I mean. Um, between all the writers that we have. Yeah. So there's a lot of crazy stuff on the site. 
uh, and I, I don't usually censor anyone. Uh, I don't remember doing that. I probably, for legal reason, I've had to change a few sentences here yeah, and there. Yeah, we can't have, we can't have swastikas on our comic book. No, we cannot anymore. have swastikas. <laughs> the apps will be removed. Because, because <laughs> the, uh, the European readers, yeah, that's bad. We cannot have swastikas on any of our comic book covers. Uh, so, sorry, sorry, Captain America. Yeah. Sorry, Captain America. <laughs> you don't get any coverage. Yep. We, we can't put swastikas, but that's, that's that's something different. I mean, it's not even me deciding. Okay, we're not putting swat. It's it's because we publish apps. If we want those apps yeah. published in certain countries, we need to remove the swastikas. That's it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not censorship in the classical sense of, oh, I don't like swastikas, so I'm not. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. It's yeah. it's beyond. It's not my control. It if we want to offer a service to apps and help people, I mean, the swastika has to go. That's all. Yeah, that's a good well, catchphrase. The swastika has to go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it worth fighting for that? <laughs> it's not worth fighting it. I mean, you know, it's it's useless. So, just yeah, remove the right. cover, replace it with something we're, else. That's all. And I think most we're people off without it anyway. <laughs> yeah, most people understand it anyway. Yeah. I mean, find a new symbol. Yeah, Better. find something else. Ignore yeah. it. And uh, even the big publisher, I mean, they had to deal with that too. I mean, they didn't know about it until. And they probably got caught too. So they like I know DC Comics had used to put a lot of swastikas on its comics, and they probably been told by Apple, "You guys need to remove those swastikas, or we're not publishing your your stuff on our store." And they probably stopped doing it. I know because I mean I've seen alternate covers that that don't have those swastikas. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean even so DC. I mean it's Captain DC America. Those Captain America comics that have all the swastikas all over them. Those are just like uh, American prints then. You think, and there's probably just uh, European safe. Yeah, well, I, I would but, think uh, they would. Yeah, are they allowed to sell things that have swastikas uh, within, like in the interior? Interiors. The or? interior doesn't matter because we don't show interior pages. Yeah. Uh, for them, but I don't they, know. Are they able to sell like newsstand copies of Captain America that have, uh, you know, um, pictures of Nazi Germany and stuff? Yeah, Nazi Germany. I mean, you can't cover Nazi Germany. I mean, that's that's a mm. historical fact. But you can't. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's the rule about the swastika in Germany and and uh, Switzerland mm. and Austria. But I do know that um, on the cover, like on a comic book cover, that's a no go. You just can't put it there. Okay. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what's the rule exactly how it works. Um, but yeah, that's a. So I guess you're learning from that also, Alex. Don't put swastikas yeah. on your comics. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to have to redesign the whole of our run of comics for the next two years now. <laughs> Good to know. Don't put swastikas. Um, Otherwise, Germany's not going to sell them for yeah. you. Um, and on, on that note, gentlemen, I'm going to have to leave you. Yeah. Now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm afraid. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm very sorry that we've taken up so much. Yeah, I'm sorry yeah, about no, that no, too. It's been good, it's been good to chat. We should do uh, it again. Alex, what's yes. your Twitter name? Sorry, your Twitter name. Uh, I, I'm on as myself. Okay, Alexander Fimbo, but the company's on as well as Renegade Arts End. Um, I'm just double checking because I get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> okay, um, and you'll be at the Calgary convention soon, right? Yes, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll be in, well, I'll be in on the 26th, ready to set up, um, and we'll be there all weekend, and we're bringing Claude 
Sonoban and Laverne Kinjerski with us to do signings for the 1812 launch and Laverne will be signing a shame as well and talking to people and looking at portfolios and actually um, Claude will have original artwork from the War of 1812 with him. Cool. Uh, are you doing any other so conventions? Any other conventions? Yes. Um, yes, but I don't know which ones yet. Okay. Uh, we did a bunch of them all over America and Canada last year, kind of burnt through a lot of money, um, met some great people and left ourselves exhausted. So this year we're being a little bit more um, careful in okay. where we go. Um, so I don't know yet. We were, I might go down to San Diego, but if we're there, we'll, we'll be there as individuals rather than as a company. Okay. Great. Let me know. I will be there as well. Yeah, we're supposed to be there, both of us, yeah. Yeah, I quite like um, the uh, the Alternative Creators uh, convention that's uh, been growing on the other side of the road to uh, San Diego. Mm -hmm. So I might go and check that out, the Trickster one. be interesting. Yeah, it would be yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. But look, we can keep <laughs> in touch guys, and well, keep, you, keep you up to date with everything. Yeah, great. Well, thank you for uh, your time, and uh, it's been a great discussion, uh, albeit a long one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Um, to our listeners, thank you for listening. And um, this is... And do you have anything to add, Irving? Nope. That's all I have to add. I, I know uh, the recording is kind of cutting right now, so I'll, I'll just. Uh, this is Dan Horn at uh, Dan underscore Horn uh, on Twitter. Um, yep. And obviously, Hervé and we at uh, L'Adventure on Twitter. And uh, I'd like to thank our guest this week, uh, even though we took a lot of his time uh, for his patience. <laughs> and please go check out uh, Renegade. There's a lot of good material over there. Uh, we learn a lot about what you do too, uh, Alex. I think I'll be seeing you very soon at the, in Calgary uh, at the comics yeah, convention. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, come find us. Uh, I'm just gonna... We're booth 422 and 522. Cool. Uh, close to Artisani. Alright, that's great. Alright, so Dan, you wanna end this? Yeah. Uh, thanks very much for listening, guys. Uh, this is Dan Herbe and Alexander Fitzinbo signing off. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.